Chapter Two of the Makers of Canada, Champlain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Makers of Canada, Champlain, by Narcisse Utrapdion. Chapter Two: Acadia, Saint Croix Island, Port Royal. Soon after the period mentioned at the close of the previous chapter, Pierre Dugois, Sieur de Mont, governor of Pont, a native of the ancient province of Saint-Onge, who had served under Henry the Fourth obtained a commission as quote, lieutenant general au pays de cadie du quarante-trième degré au quarante-sixième degré end quote, on the condition that his energy should be especially directed to the propagation of the catholic faith de mont was a huguenot nevertheless he agreed to take with him to america a number of catholic priests and to see that they were respected and obeyed champlain was not satisfied with the choice of a protestant to colonize a country which he had intended to make solely catholic and he states quote, that those enterprises made hastily never succeed de mont was not a stranger to america he had first visited the country with chauvin in sixteen hundred but when he left tadoussac he was so discouraged that he determined in the event of his becoming master of the situation to attempt colonization only in acadia or on the eastern borders of the atlantic running towards florida it was well known in france that acadia was the richest and most fertile part of the new world excellent harbors and good soil were found there fish abounded near its coasts its forests were numerous and dense an opinion existed that there were numerous mines rich in copper coal and gypsum this country was also the favorite of the normans britons and basques who had for a hundred years pursued their callings as fishermen or traders without interruption de mont however was unable to bear the expense of this undertaking alone and he consequently formed a company composed of merchants of rouen la rochelle and other towns to further the enterprise henry the fourth diminished the duty on merchandises exported from acadia and canada and granted to the company the exclusive privilege of fur trading for a period of ten years quote, from cape de raz to the fortieth parallel comprising all the acadian coast cape breton baie des chaleurs percé island gaspe Chisadec, miramichi tadoussac and canada river from either side and all the bays and rivers which flow within these shores acadia of that day was not confined to the peninsula of our own time called nova scotia it included that part of the continent which extends from the river st john to the penobscot these boundaries were the cause of long quarrels and fierce and bloody wars between england and france until they were finally settled by the treaty of utrecht in the early part of april sixteen o four the king's proclamation confining the fur trade to de mont and his associates was published in every harbour of france four ships were lying at anchor at havre de grace ready to sail and one hundred and twenty passages had been secured in two of the ships pont gravé commanded one of the vessels of one hundred and twenty tons burthen and another vessel of one hundred and fifty tons was under the charge of de mont who had taken on board jean de biencourt sieur de poutrincourt a gentleman of picardy samuel champlain some catholic priests and some protestant ministers poutrincourt was going to america with the intention of residing there with his family he was a good catholic and a loyal subject champlain was attached to de mont's expedition as geographer and historian the rendezvous had been fixed at canso but de mont proceeded directly to port aux moutons on the acadian coast where he decided to await the arrival of pont gravé in the meantime champlain explored the country from port aux moutons to port sainte marguerite now called st mary's bay this occupied a whole month he also named cape negre cape fourchu and long island Champlain reported to Damont that St. Mary's Bay was a suitable place to establish a settlement, and following this advice, the lieutenant-general proceeded with Champlain to this bay, and further explored the Bay of Fundy, or French Bay. 
they soon perceived the entrance to another splendid port which is now known as annapolis bay or port royal notwithstanding the authority of l'escarbot champlain was the first to give this place the name of port royal for he says himself quote, i have named this harbour port royal end quote. when de mont named the place la baie française champlain did not hesitate to give to his chief the merit which he deserved three rivers flow into this splendid harbour the rivière de l'Equille, so called from a little fish of the size of our éperlan or lançon which is found there in large quantities the river named saint antoine by champlain and a stream called de la roche by champlain and de l'orignac by l'escarbot after having explored the harbour champlain traversed la baie française to see whether he could discover the copper mine mentioned by prévert of saint-malo and he soon arrived at a place which he named the cape of two bays or chignecto and perceived the high islands where a copper mine was found on may twentieth an expedition started from the port of mines in search of a place suitable for a permanent settlement proceeding towards the southwest they stopped at the entrance of a large river which was named st john as it was on st john's day that they arrived there the savages called the river ouigoudi this river is dangerous writes champlain if one does not observe carefully certain points and rocks on the two sides it is so narrow at its entrance and then becomes broader a certain point being passed it becomes narrower again and forms a kind of fall between two large cliffs where the water runs so rapidly that a piece of wood thrown in is drawn under and not seen again but by waiting till high tide you can pass this fall very easily then it expands again to the extent of about a league in some places where there are three islands champlain did not explore the river further but he ascertained a few days later that the indians used the river in their journeys to tadoussac making but a short portage on the way as preparations had shortly to be made for winter quarters, de Mont decided to proceed southwards, and the party at length came to a number of islands at the entrance of the river Sainte-Croix, or des Etchemins. One of these islands was chosen for their establishment, and named Sainte-Croix, quote, because, says Lescarbot, they perceived two leagues above this island, two streams flowing into the channel of the river, presenting the appearance of a cross, end quote de mont at once commenced to fortify the place by forming a barricade on a little inlet which served as a station on which he set up a cannon it was situated halfway between the mainland and the island of st croix some days afterwards all the french who were waiting in st mary's bay disembarked on the island they were all eager and willing to work and commenced to render the place habitable they erected a storehouse and a residence for de mont and built an oven and a hand-mill for grinding wheat some gardens were also laid out, and various kinds of seeds were sown, which flourished well on the mainland, though not on the island, which was too sandy. De Mont was anxious to ascertain the location of a mine of pure copper which had been spoken of, and accordingly he dispatched Champlain with a savage named Messamouet, who asserted that he could find the place. At about eight leagues from the island, near the river St. John, they found a mine of copper, which, however, was not pure, though fairly good according to the report of the miner it would yield about eighteen per cent lescarbot says that amidst the rocks diamonds and some blue and clear stones could be found as precious as turquoises Jean Doré, one of the carpenters took one of these stones to france and had it divided into many fragments and mounted by an artist de mont and poutrincourt to whom they were presented considered these gems so valuable that they offered them to the king a goldsmith offered poutrincourt fifteen crown pieces for one of them agriculture did not flourish on the island of st croix which is about half a league in circumference the rays of the sun parched the sand so that the gardens were entirely unproductive and there was a complete dearth of water at the commencement there was a fair quantity of wood but when the buildings were finished there was scarcely any left the inhabitants consequently nearly perished from cold in the winter 
All the liquor, wine, and beer became frozen, and as there was no water, the people were compelled to drink melted snow. A malignant epidemic of scurvy broke out, and of seventy-nine persons, thirty-five died from the disease, and more than twenty were at the point of death. This disease proved one of the obstacles to rapid colonization in New France. It was epidemic, contagious, and often fatal. It is a somewhat remarkable fact that the epidemic was prevalent amongst the French only when they were established on the soil, being rarely discovered on shipboard. Jacques Cartier had experienced the horrors of this disease in the winter of 1535-36, when out of his one hundred and ten men, twenty-five died, and only three or four remained altogether free from attack. During the year 1542-43, Roberval saw fifty persons dying of the disease at Charlebourg-Royal. At St. Croix the proportion of deaths was still greater, thirty-five out of seventy-nine. There was a physician attached to de Mont's party, but he did not understand the disease, and therefore could not satisfactorily prescribe for it. De Mont also consulted many physicians in Paris, but he did not receive answers that were of much service to him. At the commencement of the seventeenth century, scientific men distinguished scurvy on land from scurvy on sea. They labored under the false impression that the one differed from the other. Champlain called the disease mal de terre. It is certain, however, that the symptoms did not vary in either case, as we may ascertain from the descriptions furnished by Jacques Cartier and Champlain. The position of the settlement was soon proved to be untenable, and de Mont was certainly to blame for this unhappy state of affairs. Why did he abandon Port Royal, where he had found abundant water? Champlain, however, defends the action of his chief. Quote, it would be very difficult, he says, to ascertain the character of this region without spending a winter in it, for on arriving here in summer everything is very agreeable in consequence of the woods, fine country, and the many varieties of good fish which are found. We must not forget, however, that the climate of this island differed very little from that of Tadoussac, which had greatly disappointed de Mont, and that his sole object in settling in a more southern latitude was to avoid the disagreeable consequences of the climate. Champlain made a plan of the island of St. Croix, indicating the buildings constructed for the habitation of the settlers. We observe many isolated tenements forming a large square. On one side was the residence of Champlain, of Chandoré and Dorville, with a large garden opposite. Near Dorville's residence was a small building set apart for the missionaries. On the other side may be seen the storehouse, de Mont's dwelling, a public hall where the people spent their leisure, and a building for Boulet and the workmen. In an angle of the large square were the residences of Genestou, Surin, de Beaumont, La Motte, Bourioli, and Fougeret. A small fort is shown at one end of the island, approached by a pathway. The chapel of the priest Aubry was located near the cannon of the fort. Such was the plan of the first Acadian settlement. Much expense had been incurred for a very poor result. De Mont was the directing spirit of the colony and in spite of his noble attempts, he realized that his efforts were fruitless and that he would have to try another place for a permanent settlement. By the direction of his chief, Champlain accordingly undertook to explore the sea-coast of Norumbega. De Mont has found a defender in Moreau, who held that St. Croix was only intended for winter quarters. If this had been his intention, we can scarcely believe that he would have incurred so great an expense in building a number of houses. Lescarbot, whose testimony is most valuable, says, quote, when we go into a country to take possession of land, we don't stop on islands to imprison ourselves. If that island had been supplied with rivers or streams, if the soil had been favorable to agriculture, it would have been half wrong. But this island lacked the very first element essential to life, fresh water. Towards the middle of May, 1605, everyone's attention was directed towards France, as the ships which had been expected for over a month had not yet arrived. 
De Mont then determined to send his party to Gaspé in two large boats to join Pont-Gravé. At this juncture, however, Pont-Gravé arrived at Saint-Croix with his crew, comprising forty men. De Mont and Pont-Gravé held a consultation and decided to seek a more suitable place for a settlement rather than to return to France. De Mont was still under the impression that the best plan was to attempt to settle in the vicinity of Florida, although the result of Champlain's exploration along the coast of Norembega was considered unsatisfactory. Let us now examine what Champlain had accomplished during the month of September 1604. He left St. Croix on September 5th in a patache with twelve sailors and two savages as guides. On the first day he covered twenty-five leagues and discovered many islands, reefs, and rocks. To another island, four or five leagues in length, he gave the name of Ile des Monts Desserts, which name has been preserved. On the following day Champlain met some hunting Indians of the Etchemin tribe, proceeding from the Pentagua River to the Mount Desert Islands. Quote, I think this river, says Champlain, is that which several pilots and historians call Norembeg, and which most have described as large and extensive, with very many islands, its mouth being in latitude 43 degrees, 43 minutes, 30 seconds. It is related also that there is a large, thickly settled town of savages, who are adroit and skilful, and who have cotton-yards. I am confident that most of those who mention it have not seen it, and speak of it because they have heard persons say so, who know no more about it than they themselves. But that any one has ever entered it there is no evidence, for then they would have described it in another manner, in order to relieve the minds of many of this doubt." Champlain's description is written from personal knowledge, because he had seen the Pentagua River. The country which it passes through is agreeable, but there was no town or village, and no appearance of either, with the exception of a few deserted cabins of the Suriquois or Mi'kmaq. Here Champlain met two Suriquois chiefs, Bessabe and Cabaïs, and succeeded in making them understand that he had been sent by de Mont to visit their country, and to assure them of the friendship of the French for the Suriquois. Champlain continued his journey southwards, and two days later he again met Cabaïs, of whom he asked particulars as to the course of the river Norembeg. The chief replied, quote, that they had already passed the fall, which is situated at about twenty leagues from the mouth of the river Penobscot. Here it widens into a lake, by way of which the Indians pass to the river St. Croix, by going some distance overland, and then entering the river Etchemin. Another river also enters the lake, along which they proceed for some days until they gain another lake, and pass through it. Reaching the end of it, they again make a land journey of some distance, until they reach another small river, the mouth of which is within a league of Quebec." This little river is the Chaudière, which the Indians follow to reach Quebec. On September 20th, Champlain observed the mountains of Bedabedec, and after having proceeded for ten or twelve leagues further, he decided to return to St. Croix and wait until the following year to continue his explorations. His opinion was that the region he had explored was quite as unfavorable for a settlement as St. Croix. On June 18, 1605, de Mont, at the head of an expedition consisting of Champlain, some gentlemen, twelve sailors, and an Indian guide named Panonius and his wife, set out from the island of St. Croix to explore the country of the Armouchiquois, and reached the Pentagua River in twelve days. On July 20th they made about twenty leagues between Bedavadec Point and the Kennebec River, at the mouth of which is an island which they named La Tortue. Continuing their journey towards the south, they observed some large mountains, the abode of an Indian chief named Aneda. Quote, I was satisfied from the name, says Champlain, that he was one of his tribe that had discovered the plant called Aneda, which Jacques Cartier said was so powerful against the malady called scurvy which harassed his company as well as our own when they wintered in Canada. The savages have no knowledge at all of this plant, and are not aware of its existence, although the above-mentioned savage has the same name." 
This supposition was unfounded, because if this Indian had been of the same origin as the Aborigines who acquainted Jacques Cartier with the virtue of the Aneda plant in cases of scurvy, he would have understood the meaning of the word. Aneda is the Iroquois word for the spruce tree, but there is no evidence to prove that Champlain was ever aware that it was a specific. Had he known of its efficacy, he would have certainly employed it. At Chouacouet, de Mont and Champlain received visits from many Indians, differing entirely from either the Etchemin or the Armouchiquois. They found the soil tilled and cultivated, and the corn in the gardens was about two feet in height. Beans, pumpkins, and squash were also in flower. The place was very pleasant and agreeable at the time, but Champlain believed the weather was very severe in the winter. The party proceeded still further south, in sight of the Cap aux Îles, or Cape Porpoise, and on July 17, 1605, they came to anchor at Cape Saint-Louis, where an Indian chief named Honabetha paid them a visit. To a small river which they found in the vicinity, they gave the name of Gua, in honor of de Mont. The expedition passed the night of the 18th in a small bay called Cape Saint-Louis. On the 19th they observed the cape of a large bay, which they distinguished by the title of Saint-Suzanne-du-Cap-Blanc, and on July 20th, they entered a spacious harbor, which proved to be very dangerous on account of shoals and banks. They therefore named it Malbar. Five weeks had now elapsed since the expedition had left St. Croix, and no incident of importance had occurred. They had met many tribes of Indians, and on each occasion their intercourse was harmonious. It is true that they had not traversed more than three degrees of latitude, but although their progress was slow, their time was well spent. De Mont was satisfied that it would be easier to colonize Acadia than this American coast and Champlain was still convinced that Port Royal was the most favorable spot, unless de Mont preferred Quebec. The expedition returned to St. Croix in nine days, arriving there on August 3rd. Here they found a vessel from France under the command of Captain des Antons, laden with provisions and many things suitable for winter use. There was now a chance of saving the settlers, although their position was not enviable. De Mont was determined to try the climate of Port Royal, and to endeavor to establish a settlement there. Two barks were fitted out and laden with the framework of the buildings at St. Croix. Champlain and Pongravé had set out before to select a favorable site around the bay, well sheltered from the northwest wind. They chose a place opposite an island at the mouth of the river de l'Equille as being the most suitable. Everyone was soon busily engaged in clearing the ground and in erecting houses. The plan of the settlement, says Champlain, was ten fathoms long and eight fathoms wide, making the distance around thirty-six fathoms. On the eastern side was a storehouse occupying the width of it, with a very fine cellar from five to six feet deep. On the northern side were the quarters of Sieur de Mont, comfortably finished. In the back yard were the dwellings of the workmen. At the corner of the western side was a platform, upon which four cannon were placed, and at the eastern corner a palisade was constructed in the shape of a platform. There was nothing pretentious or elegant about these buildings, but they were solid and useful. The installation of the new settlement being now complete, de mont returned to france leaving pont gravé in command during the absence of de mont champlain determined to pursue his discoveries along the american coast and in this design he was favored by de mont as the latter had not altogether abandoned his idea of settling in florida the season however was too far advanced and champlain therefore stopped at the river st john to meet choudon with whom he had agreed to set out in search of the famous copper mine they were accompanied by a miner named jacques and a slavonian very skilful in discovering minerals he found some pieces of copper in what appeared to be a mine, but it was too difficult to work. Champlain accordingly returned to Port Royal, where several of the men were suffering from scurvy. Out of forty-five, twelve died during the winter. The surgeon from Honfleur, named Deschamps, performed an autopsy on some of the bodies, and found them affected in the same manner as those who had died at St. Croix. 
Snow did not fall until December 20th, and the winter was not so severe as the previous one. On March 16, 1606, Champlain resumed his explorations and travelled eighteen leagues on that day. He anchored at an island to the south of Manan. During the night his bark ran ashore and sustained injuries which it required four days to repair. Champlain then proceeded to port aux coquilles seven or eight leagues distant, where he remained until the twenty-ninth. Pontgravé, however, desired him to return to Port Royal, being anxious to obtain news of his companions whom he had left sick. Owing to indisposition, Champlain was obliged to delay his departure until April 8th. Champlain and Pontgravé intended to return to France during the summer of 1606. Seeing that the vessels promised by de Mont had not arrived, they set out from Port Royal to Cape Breton, or Gaspé, in search of a vessel to cross the Atlantic, but when they were approaching Canso, they met Ralot, the secretary of de Mont, who informed them that a vessel had been dispatched under the command of Poutrincourt, with fifty settlers for the country. They therefore returned to Port Royal, where they found Poutrincourt, who, as lieutenant-general of de Mont, intended to remain at Port Royal during the year. On September 5th, Champlain left Port Royal on a voyage of discovery. Poutrincourt joined the expedition, and they took with them a physician, the carpenter Chandoré, and Robert Gravet, the son of François. This last voyage, undertaken to please de Mont, did not result in anything remarkable. They first paid a visit to St. Croix, where everything remained unchanged, although the gardens were flourishing. From St. Croix the expedition drifted southwards, and Champlain pointed out the same bays, harbours, capes, and mountains that he had observed before. Choudon, chief of the Etchemin, and Mesamouet, captain of the Mi'kmaq, joined the party, and proceeded with them as far as Chouacouet, where they intended to form an alliance with Olmachin and Marchim, two Indian chiefs of this country. On October 2, 1606, the expedition reached Malbar, and for a few days they anchored in a bay near Cape Paturier, which they named Port Fortuné, or Chatham. Five or six hundred savages were found at this place. Quote, it would be an excellent place, says Champlain, to erect buildings and lay the foundation of a state, if the harbour was somewhat deeper and the entrance safer. Poutrincourt stopped here for some days, and in the meantime visited all the surrounding country, from which he returned much pleased. According to a custom peculiar to the French since the days of Jacques Cartier, de Mont had planted a large cross at the entrance of the Kennebec River, and also at Malbar. Poutrincourt did the same at Port Fortuné. The Indians seemed annoyed at this ceremony, which they evidently considered as an encroachment upon their rights as proprietors. They exhibited symptoms of discontent, and during the night they killed four Frenchmen who had imprudently stayed ashore. They were buried near the cross. This the Indians immediately threw down, but Poutrincourt ordered it to be restored to its former position. On three different occasions the party attempted to pursue their discoveries southwards, but they were prevented each time by a contrary wind. They therefore resolved to return to Port Royal, which was rendered imperative both by the approach of winter and the scarcity of provisions. The result of the voyage was not altogether satisfactory. Champlain had perhaps held a degree further south than on the former occasion, but he had not discovered anything of importance. On their return to Port Royal, the voyagers were received with great ceremony. Lescarbot, a Parisian lawyer who had arrived some time before, and some other Frenchmen, went to meet them and conducted them to the fort, which had been decorated with evergreens and inscriptions. On the principal door they had placed the arms of France, surrounded with laurel crowns and the king's motto, Duo Protegit Unus. Beneath the arms of de Mont was placed this inscription, Dabit Deus his quoque finem. The arms of Poutrincourt were wreathed with crowns of leaves with his motto, In via virtuti nulla est via. Lescarbot had composed a short drama for the occasion entitled Le Théâtre de Neptune. 
The winter of 1606-07 was not very severe. The settlers lived happily in spite of the scurvy from which some of them died. Hunting afforded them the means of providing a great variety of dishes, such as geese, ducks, bears, beavers, partridges, reindeer, bustards, etc. They also organized a society devoted to good cheer called Ordre du Bon Temps, the bylaws of which were definite and were fixed by Champlain himself. The Indians of the vicinity, who were friendly towards the French colony, were in need of food, so that each day loaves of bread were distributed amongst them. Their sagamo, named Membertu, was admitted as a guest to the table of Poutrincourt. This famous Souriquois, who was very old at that time, probably a hundred years, though he had not a single white hair, pretended to have known Jacques Cartier at the time of his first voyage, and claimed that in 1534 he was married and the father of a young family. Lescarbot, who was an able man and a good historian, records the particulars above related, besides many other interesting facts concerning Port Royal which appear to have escaped Champlain's observation. Lescarbot was an active spirit in the life of the first French colony in Acadia. He encouraged his companions to cultivate their land, and he worked himself in the gardens, sowing wheat, oats, beans, peas, and herbs, which he tended with care. He was also liked by the Indians, and he would have rejoiced to see them converted to Christianity. Lescarbot was a poet and a preacher, and had also a good knowledge of the arts and of medicine. Charlevoix says, quote, he daily invented something new for the public good, and there was never a stronger proof of what a new settlement might derive from a mind cultivated by study, and induced by patriotism to use its knowledge and reflections. We are indebted to this advocate for the best memoirs of what passed before his eyes, and for a history of French Florida. We then behold an exact and judicious writer, a man with views of his own, and who would have been as capable of founding a colony as of writing its history." With the departure of Lescarbot and Champlain, the best page of the history of Port Royal is closed. The two men left on September 2, 1607, on board the Jonas, commanded by Nicolas Martin. They stopped at Roscoff in Basse-Bretagne, and the vessel arrived at Havre de Grasse in the early days of October. Poutrincourt, his son Biencourt, and Lescarbot made a pilgrimage to Mont-Saint-Michel, and Champlain went to Brouage, his native country, having sojourned in America for three years and five months. End of chapter 2